Hi, I'm Dave Bazuki, founder and CEO at Roblox. You're listening to Tech Talks, a podcast about the people and ideas that are shaping the future of the metaverse. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the most innovative technologies that have emerged in this new category and sharing stories with the Robloxians that are building them. Today, I'm joined by Nick Torno, VP of Creator Engineering at Roblox. The Roblox platform would not be where it is today without the creativity and innovation that comes from our creator community. Today, we'll be talking about what it means to create on Roblox and how we're supporting our creators and our vision for the future. So with that, uh, Nick, welcome. So great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Uh, it hasn't been that long, right? I can remember being in vacation on Hawaii. We were talking about working together and we we had one of our lovely one hour conversations. Can you refresh us how long it has been since that uh, fortuitous conversation? I don't know that conversation specifically, but I've been at the company for about three and a half months. So it's probably just a couple of weeks before then. So maybe that was four months ago. It's been a pretty awesome action packed four months for me. Yeah, well, well, for our audience out there, you're unique, Nick, in that you have both gaming experience as well as infra experience. And Roblox really combines those as being a platform and a platform with a cloud and a platform where we've built our own infra. Can you share a, just a little bit with the audience about where you got your gaming experience and where you got your infra and where they overlap? Sure. So I'm going to zoom all the way back to 2008. I was working for an enterprise software company and some of my buddies had joined this startup building games for Facebook. And I thought, man, what in the world is Facebook? And I thought, well, why would you build games on it? And it just seemed so odd to me, but I kept talking to them more and more, got excited about it and joined a company called Zynga. It was employee 30 something at the time. And we were building games on a bunch of different social platforms at the time. Some of them are still around, some of them are not. It was a pretty competitive space at the time and Zynga was building a platform for gaming across these social networks. And we were just in the hunt, you know, lots of competitors didn't know which platform was going to succeed, found our way. I was there for about 10 and a half years. Yeah, but those were ahead. really heady times, weren't they? In that it was one of the first times games were going really social and going social on platforms where people happen to be with friends. And as part of being there with friends, there were additional things to do that involved play. It, it was a formative time, I think, for the gaming industry. Yeah, we were all about making games that traditionally non-gamers could play, you know. Our games, the games we were making at Zynga were not violent. There were things like uh, Farm Farmville and Cafe World yeah. and these sorts of games where you just kind of create and you express yourself. In fact, that was one of our mottos was invest and express. You know, you invest in the game, you express yourself and it really took off. It was a great experience. And then you following that, you also worked on some deep infrastructure. Can you share a bit about that experience? Sure. Around about 2018, after I had been at Zynga for about 10 and a half years, I started thinking a bit more about politics, press, the, the, the larger world stage outside of just gaming. 
And I'm a father. So also thinking about my son in the future. And I really just looked at, you know, these types of things that I find myself thinking about, particularly in the aftermath of the 2016 election and some of the nature of that conversation, the intersection of politics, press, information, and technology, yeah. and um, ended up at Twitter running the platform group there for about four years. And that's a whole other set of things, because I think you were working on some really deep data infrastructure things that were really complicated at the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Twitter is a fascinating company. It's a fascinating product. And it's really in the global conversations we're having around privacy, around information, misinformation. And it's very large. You know, it's quite a complicated infrastructure. It's all real time. It's about UGC fundamentally, yep. maybe a different type of UGC than we have on Roblox, but it's still hard. You know, all these things being created in real time, what's good, what's bad, what's interesting to some people versus others, making these decisions quickly. And if we do it right, it can have a really great impact to helping people help each other, helping information get out from potentially regimes where that's hard, uh, helping people who don't have a voice have one. Yeah, well, we'll this will be a fun thing to maybe circle back on uh, near the end of our conversation, because some of these some of these things affect the vision of Roblox as well as more and more people use Roblox as a platform to communicate. And so we jump forward to where we are now with the creator platform at Roblox. And it's a pretty broad set of capabilities. Could you share a bit about some of, it's not just Roblox Studio. Could you share a bit about what this encompasses? I like to think of it as having three parts. So there's studio, which many of you know and love, where you actually, you know, get things out of your brain into the scene. And we're spending a lot of energy there, making that more intuitive, easier for people to do democratizing creation. But other parts of creation include, well, where does all this content that's being created millions of pieces of content, hundreds of thousands of creators every day building on studio, where does it all go? It's a lot of information. And it all goes into our cloud. So we have a pretty massive backend system that takes all this content in that you're creating. And it's not just being created in studio these days, maybe we'll talk about this a bit more later. But you can create your content in a lot of different places, upload it to our cloud. And what we'll do is we'll distribute it globally, in an efficient way, integrated into experiences that are performant for people all over the world to play. And that's the kind of the, the second piece is the content system. We have to ingest the content, also moderate the content, make sure it's safe and deploy it. And then the third part is services, which things like translation will automatically translate the games. And we're working on translating chat and conversations that are happening. And then we have sites like Dev Forum talent hub, the documentation portal, those are all in the services bucket. There, there was a time early on when there were really no services for Roblox. When people opened Roblox Studio, they were saving a file locally. Uh, there was, it's hard to imagine there was no services. And then I believe it was 10 or 11 years ago, we built our first service, which was called Persistence. And it was this enormous breakthrough. All of the developers had wanted it forever, and it changed the nature of what our creators would do. 
it's it's a little fuzzy name. Could you share uh, what persistence means when it comes to a Roblox creator? Yeah. So earlier I talked about the content, which obviously is persisted. That's the stuff that the developers are building in Studio or elsewhere. But then you think about, okay, there's 50 something million people a day consuming this content. And, you know, what's really fascinating about gaming is, and I experienced this a lot at Singa too, is it's right heavy. Like when you play a game, as opposed to watching a movie or just consuming media, you're an active participant. You're defining your own future. It could be you're leveling up. It could be you're acquiring currency. It could be you're just interacting with other people. You know the numbers better than me in terms of like how many hours are being spent on the platform per day. But each one of the minutes in those hours is right. And what the persistence system is, is a place to store all of that and be able to read it very quickly, have other people read it. Yeah. Sort of well, thing. more than when it was over 11 years ago, uh, even in the most simplest thing, who has the highest score in this experience? The, the devs couldn't figure out a way to do that. So <laughs> that was the start of really a lot more rich type experiences. And then uh, there, there was also a time, uh, there's another service which involves translation, where there was a time over 10 years ago when most of the things on Roblox were in English, what was exciting about a lot of the experiences in English is uh, because they were in the cloud, the text was already pulled out. And a lot of these experiences, when they had signs or user interface elements, you could parse the text as part of the experience. So. Uh, we talked about this for a long time and knew um, we wanted this notion of build once, run anywhere. Can you share a little about what the translation service does and how that works? Yeah, the translation service is really a key part of what I think it means for Roblox to succeed and kind of allow this global conversation and these global interactions to happen. And what it does fundamentally is take you know, text in any language and convert it. We, I think we support 11 languages right now. And in real time, it'll translate it to the language of the person consuming that text. And we parse the things that are getting created. We look at images in the things that are being created. The notion of where is the text? You know, some of the text is uh, written as text. Some of it might be drawn on a picture and in the future some of it might be spoken and these sorts of things so we have grand hopes for the future of the translation service but fundamentally it's a high volume real-time roblox specific technology for translating text from one language to another language that allows people to consume these like maybe the developer only knew one language and it might not be english of course but now they can deploy it and have it feel native for people all over the world. And I think there are some languages where as we've turned this on, we've seen double digit engagement increases. I'm, I'm pretty sure in Japan, we've seen that just based on how much more playable it makes experiences when they're in a native language. Yeah, 100%. We also use it for the search and discovery, like how how do people find these experiences, right? The names of the experiences changes, the description of the experience and the experience itself. And yeah, so it's a really, we talk about democratizing creation, we talk about bringing people together. This is a real key part of that. 
before we move on, there's one other interesting part of things. When people think about using a game development environment, it's hard for a lot of people to imagine, but in, in a way it's, it's a hybrid coding environment and 3D creation environment. And in game development, uh, these things come together in a way in that in one sense, we're creating 3D objects and we're modeling them and we have buildings and avatars and trees. But in the other side, we have code as well. Can you share a little about the the Roblox Studio coding environment? Is this, you know, what kind of pieces does this support? Is there a debugger, for example, or, mm -hmm. or how does that work? You're right. And I think it's one of the most fascinating parts about building experiences in the metaverse for me is it's really cross-disciplinary. It's really a creative endeavor, which involves art. It involves 3D modeling. It involves music. It involves writing code. And so the possibilities of what you can create, those things all multiply together. You can make whole environments that are immersive. And a big part of that is writing code. We of course, have an included code editor, an included debugger. We've been making and rolling out a lot of enhancements to both of these systems to allow them to be more intuitive, to allow people who are less technical to learn, to develop in these, to allow easy transition to documentation and these sorts of things. But fundamentally, by having it all within the same IDE and integrated with the parts and pieces, what you're fundamentally able to do is, you know, run your experience, debug your experience in real time. Of course, you can do this collaboratively with other people who can join your testing session. And we, we've we always had the vision uh, at Roblox that the objects in the 3D metaverse or what have you do combine that. And, and traditionally, a lot of game coding has been high level world scripts, but there's this interesting notion when the objects themselves have code embedded in the objects, those objects can start to do interesting things and be portable. For example, the, the dream on Roblox is always, if I share a vehicle with you, it might have embedded in it code that helps me get into the vehicle, code that does an interesting speedometer in the vehicle, the user experience of that. So that, that's one of the fundamental nature of what we feel is this 3D immersive metaverse format for objects. Yeah, this is one of these really fascinating aspects about what Roblox is and what Roblox can be. We've rolled out a packages feature in the past and we're enhancing it quite a lot right now. And packages are meant to be an up-leveling as opposed to just having meshes or code or these kind of isolated pieces stitch it all together into some sort of behavior and visual and audio, like a whole experience that then you can share on the marketplace. And a lot of creation is about building on other people's creations, right? And yeah, totally on the car. What about now I want a parking lot and I just want you to produce some cars in that parking lot of all different shapes and sizes. And then how about I want to make a parking garage and I want to make an office park, you know, like, yeah. like if we have richer fundamental building blocks, we can, you know, keep building upwards and, and broader and broader. And fundamentally what's happening is creation is getting easier and you're able to create more advanced and sophisticated things without having to get into the, the detail of every time you want to make a game that has cars in it, you gotta, you gotta figure out how to make a car. Yeah. So there's, um, there's another thing we do at Roblox 
that involves our creator community and our creator community is really, really large. We have seven-year-olds writing experiences. We have teams of a hundred. We, uh, we have several teams passing the hundred person mark. We have studios, we have VC funded groups. Now we have businesses recruiting in college. We have brand support. And we all come together every year at the Roblox Developer Conference, which is absolutely amazing. I wanted to uh, just, uh, I'll share some of my impressions on the Developer Conference. And that I'd love to hear what you think about it, just having come from more of a studio background at Zynga to a community background and how different it is. The, the first developer conference we had was over 10 years ago. I think we called it BloxCon. It was at the Exploratorium. And it was uh, very much a fan type uh, event where we had people from around the world coming. But over time, we've progressively migrated the Roblox developer conference to essentially what I believe is, is arguably the most creative group of experienced creators in the world right now as we go beyond 500 in the one we just had and uh, get them together. From your point of view, you know, is it, how does it feel different for you to interact with, with a community like this versus be one of the developers as you were at Zynga? Oh, yeah. I mean, at Zynga, I actually had two different roles. One, you know, developing the games themselves. That was like my first half of my time yeah. at Zynga. And then the, the second half was more trying to build the platform. It's kind of like a dream come true is the short yeah. answer, Dave. At Zynga, when I was in the central group, we would try to foster these communities and be able to have this sort of sharing, this sort of like collaborative community that Roblox has built. It was hard to do even at a much smaller scale. And, you know, we had maybe a couple dozen game studios. And so to just be in this place where we have hundreds of thousands of developers of all ages, all walks of life, building on the same platform collaboratively, you know, we're able to share these amazing updates with them get feedback on them at RDC, get better with them, and really help them connect to each other to help each other. It's just awesome. Yeah, there's a little bit of a notion, I think, that I think some people call this user-generated content. I like to call this self-service. And the platform you work on and are creating is a self-service platform creation. It's arguably on face value, infinitely harder than building a bespoke thing for one or two people to use because of the edge cases and people trying weird things and people stretching it. And I think it's it's amplified in our case because we are hoping these experiences run everywhere from an Xbox to a PC to a very low-end Android phone all the way to an iPhone 13 and beyond. And so it's almost like we've set the highest bar of difficulty for ourselves and do that year after year. But I, I, I think there, I'm wondering if you see benefits to that. I mean, it, it forces us to do really hard stuff, I feel, all the time. Yeah, it actually is one of the more rewarding aspects of technology generally. But even within technology, I think gaming and this sort of creator ecosystem it's always on the forefront of technology too. Like, yeah, all the things you said are true, but 
guess what happens when you know AR devices start rolling out and VR devices start getting more popular? We'll be there too. We'll be yep. there early. And and so it really keeps you on your toes. And one of the nice things around technology is if you're on the forefront and you're investing and generalizing the technology and optimizing the technology, you can eke a lot more out of it than you could if you were just kind of like sitting on a staid platform. So as we go to like different consoles or different devices, we're going to optimize the code and we're going to like streamline the experience and it's going to benefit everyone. I agree the difficulty level is very high. But if we succeed, then I think it has benefits, not just on the new platform, but on all platforms. We've been having some fun discussions around the creation group at Roblox that you run on the engineering side around some of the various ways we might uh, measure it. And there's all kinds of ideas we've had, but one metric we've come up with is what is the number of people creating on the platform really and there's a traditional way of looking at this where the traditional way would be how many people touch a roblox studio every day or month the less traditional way would be that when i get dressed in the morning i'm creating because i'm picking out what i wear and that's creative and when i cut my hair that's creative and when i uh do a bunch of things that's creative so there, there's an other dimension of that where there's a lot of creators on roblox because everyone's building their avatar and i think we're we're gonna try to make that everyone creating metric as big as it can be can you share a little about how we get more creators on the platform and you know both in Roblox Studio as well as ideas even beyond that how we bring it everywhere? Yeah, I really love this idea. It's so rich and I love the analogies to the real world. Like in the real world, we don't draw a strong and dark line between just living our lives and creating and it's just so easy. It's right there. Well, of course, like if you're faced with a problem or you need to get something done, you'll create, you know, that's what humans do. And it's a way to express ourselves. It's also just a way to get things done. And for whatever reason, when we look at the digital world, I think this is a broad statement, but I think it's mostly true. There just isn't that much creation. It's a lot of consumption. It's a lot of just taking what other people have created for you. And every time technologies have allowed a little bit more self-expression, for instance, I referenced at Zynga when we allowed people to build their own farms or their own cafe, they surprise us in what they do. They love to create and they love to share. And in the metaverse with Roblox right now, the types of creation we can allow are almost unbounded. You know, it's not just about putting, you know, items on your farm or your cafe. It's about creating whole worlds and yes, your whole look for sure. Also the way you interact with other people. And I get really excited thinking about this. I mentioned earlier, I'm a father and I and also been thinking about what does my son do that I consider like good play that is kind of wholesome and I feel good. And it, some of it's like playing with Legos or blocks in his room and just creating things with friends and socializing. And I think Roblox really can be that, will be that, and we're pretty close to it. We just have to give the right platform capabilities to our creators to allow them to build these creative experiences into the platform. And they're already doing it. They're already doing it, even though we haven't made it as easy as we could. We see 
a lot of experiences on the platform that do enable creation, but we think we can go way further. Yeah, there's a lot of people who have pushed the envelope technically, theme park tycoon, a lot of lumber tycoons, a lot of experiences that allow that. The one thing we've been a little fastidious with is access to storing that as my own stuff. And I think we're going to be exploring a, a lot of it before we started roblox one there used to be a tv show called junkyard wars which was one of the many inspirations for roblox where teams of five would go into a junkyard they would have six or eight hours to build some kind of thing that would satisfy a challenge and they were welding and cutting and wiring and gluing and all of those things and those are very, very difficult things to do in a 3D synthetic gaming environment uh, that re requires real-time modeling, real-time physics, uh, multiplayer, all of it. But I think we we have some of that coming through in the product and we'll, we'll see more of it. And I'm optimistic someday we will see a Junkyard Wars type game with welders and drills and things like that. Those things are also, unfortunately, quite hard in the real world too, right? Yeah. So I, I'm hopeful in Roblox, not only can you do those things, but maybe it's a little safer. <laughs> you know, you don't uh, have to get out like an arc, arc welder or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a lot of dangerous things that some people might think are fun that maybe you can't even see on YouTube, but could be done safely in a yeah, synthetic environment and help people blow off some steam. Uh, so absolutely. Hey, let me ask you for all the things in Roblox Studio that we do today. So we write code, we edit objects, we create, we build things. How many of those, and this isn't trying to be a trick question, how many of those things someday do you think I could do in my own experience real time as part of a game rather than doing it or in addition to doing it in Roblox Studio? Okay, I think there's some things when we talk about like debugging of scripts at scale, perhaps yeah. that will always require running in studio. But I'm not sure. I mean, I think the short answer to your question is almost all of those things I think could be possible in experience. Yeah. But perhaps not with the same level of fidelity. So I think one of the constraints we face is just around the nature of input devices, the nature of output devices, you know, and, yep. and the mouse and the large screen of a computer, the keyboard, they give you a lot of expressive capabilities. But I think fundamentally, everything you can do with those can be present in experience. And I think we will unlock it. And my hope is that we will still make it possible for you to go back into studio or some other third party environment. If you want to bring a power tool to it, you know, like if you just want to do something light, like dress yourself in the morning, you don't need a power tool. And if you want to like design a whole new type of clothing and mass produce it, and perhaps you do need something more heavyweight, but we hope that it's kind of like an on-ramp or something more gradual where it's like create every day. And then maybe sometimes you're like, oh man, I really want to spend more time creating this and making it really, really amazing then you might go, okay, I'm going to download Studio. I'm going to use this third-party software to get this done. There's a host of possible ML-based things we could imagine in Roblox Studio as well. And there's some that are more traditional, for example, video to animation, which we're already shipping, I believe, in beta or 
things like that. And th there's a whole host of innovations coming down that road as far as image to my face or ML enhance uh, 3D environments. We've talked about um, as much as possible building these in a way so our creator community can help accelerate them. So in addition to things that might be traditionally more hardwired cloud ML functionality, is there a cloud ML toolbox that our creators could write tools on top of? Uh, that's that's a pretty complex construct, but I'm wondering if you could explain more about what that could possibly support someday if we're able to do that. Yeah, it's a really fascinating area, just generally in academic research and technology right now is this conversion of human language could be natural language to 3D geometries to to pictures. And there's been just a tremendous number of breakthroughs over the last uh, couple of years, and it shows no signs of slowing down. We as Roblox have some unique positioning relative to that in which we have a lot of 3D assets, we have a lot of creators, we have a lot of code, and we can use these to train models to do things that are very hard to do. Just I'll put it, I'll leave it at that. And I mean, ultimately, it's not hard to imagine a future in which your experience within experience or in studio might be something more like what you can do on the holodeck in Star Trek, where you say, I want something, and then it's there. And maybe it's not exactly what you had in mind, but it's some sort of combination of things that we know about from our marketplace, assets that other creators have contributed and shared, and some set of new things, some sort of synthetic things that are being generated based upon an understanding of intent of what the person was trying to create. This makes me think, Nick, that you and I, we should go on a green screen someday and get a few people with uh, cameras and have a brainstorming session on the future of in-game creation. Because sometimes when you work backwards from a problem and rather than think, what is the current platform? How do we incrementally move it forward? Take all those constraints off and work from the vision backwards. And I think a lot of what we might do in that fun green screen holodeck simulation might actually be stuff we could do in two to four years. I would imagine walking around and say, create deck of Starship Enterprise circa 1973. <laughs> and I think someday that will pop up um, based on what our ML is going to be able to do. What would you do after I did that on the green screen holodeck, Nick? I mean, I think we'd need some uh, Klingons or something, spice it up a little bit. But circling back to like what creators all about, it's cool to think about this type of thing. It's also cool to think about the mindset and what it does to creators, if they can imagine something, and then live it and share it. That feedback loop, that positive feedback loop of, you know, that's one of the things you, you mentioned this example of a junkyard with the welding and so forth. It's hard. It's hard to do those types of things. And the people who do it, oh, it's amazing, right? It's But they had to devote a lot of energy to, to get those things done. And it's a lot harder than it looks. And the output is amazing, but the work that went into it was a lot. And I think if we can make this faster, positive feedback loop where people imagine things, create them share them 
it's a flywheel of creation and more and more people will start creating more and more things and they'll know they can do it you know they can get something out of their brain into the world and that to me is very exciting okay well we're gonna have to go do that holodeck session and then uh, (laughs) once we do the holodeck session green screen we'll have some animators fill it in and we'll end up with a a video mock-up kind of a vision mock-up but swooping back more to reality now maybe can you just share a few of the updates to roblox studio where we have made or we're going to be making for the hardcore roblox studio users out in the audience yeah 100 percent. and a lot of these are announced at rdc we have a studio refresh in which we've basically given the studio product a lot of love modernizing the user interface bringing higher dpi icons and so forth into the fold. We have a bunch more behind the scenes of this. So those are the things on the surface, but behind the scenes, we really uh, refactored the code base to set us up for future investments in this product. We're also thinking more generally about Studio in terms of integration with Blender, integration with other third-party tools. So what you think of as Studio as the standalone executable, we're starting to think of it more and more as a part of a larger ecosystem of development. And so you'll see us making more and more investments in plugins and interoperability. And that that will play out over time. I think the cloud piece that we were talking about earlier is a key part of this, yep. of saying Studio itself is not a privileged creation tool. We'll make it great, but we'll also restructure Studio such that it's using the same endpoints that other people can use. And then and following on the Studio side, on the work of our creators, Going back to the founding of Roblox, we also used to imagine someday, for some reason, we used a bulldozer as the the idea. If, if I wanted a bulldozer for my 3D experience, I would go somewhere and find, and hopefully find 100 bulldozers. And over time, they would be more and more physically realistic, and we'd see more and more models. And over time, that would get better. Can you talk at all about um, today for developers either finding objects or code or tools um any ways we might making it easier and better for them to find other people's work yeah right so we talked a little bit about packages earlier this notion of having the things that are in our marketplace be maybe richer and that should allow these advanced bulldozers that i mean it, it should it's a building block for having more advanced bulldozers mm-hmm. but then the question of how do you find the bulldozer that you want? How do you find the best bulldozer for your use case? We call it the marketplace. You know, it's the toolbox, but it's a catalog of assets and packages and really everything that creators make that they want to share with the community. And who knows where that will go, but it's like, I built this thing and I want to share it with everyone else. And we're investing in incentives for that. So you can make money if you create something that other people like. You can give it away for free. You can give it away for free to people that are just getting started and maybe start charging later. You can accept donations, this sort of thing. We really want to facilitate an entire ecosystem of sharing. And as part of that, we need to understand what is being shared. So we're investing in understanding what it is. What is this bulldozer? Is it just a bulldozer? I don't know that much about bulldozers, but maybe a better example would be cars, (laughs) where there's different types of cars. There's cars that are race cars, street legal cars, there's cars that, you know, are late model cars, um, modern cars, different brands, and so on and so forth. So the more metadata we can get about the car, 
how it looks. Is it cartoony? Is it realistic? It's a car. It's not just a whatever Ford Mustang. It's a car, you know, so generalizing and specializing, bringing all that metadata to bear. Now, when you're searching for something, we understand what it is. We call it content understanding. You know, we understand the content. It's not just a thing. Yep. And so when you search or you try to explore, we can go like, oh, cars. Yeah. And here's this cloud of things that could mean you could start focusing. I want realistic cars. I want, I want late model realistic cars, you know, and we'll have that metadata and that ability to surface those things. Because we have uh, 3D models for many of the things in the marketplace or in our avatar shop, there was this wonderful day when for the very first time we started combining metadata with 3d object inspection and it was a long time ago everyone had always wanted to search for red jackets and we had been going down the metadata route for a while but then with our cloud we said yeah well we're just going to search the 3d objects and find the red ones and that was a transformative demo where the power just popped out so i can imagine the ability to do 3d inspection of these objects can also take us a long way and someday even if the bulldozers are improperly labeled we'll still be able to find all the bulldozers on roblox with a 3d object analysis yeah tying back to the ai maybe we construct a new bulldozer if you're like i want a bulldozer yeah. that is kind of like that but kind of like this it's a hybrid bulldozer mustang then we can you know create one because we have all that information that is going to bring up a huge legal moral ethical question if and dolly and crayon and a bunch of things are already dealing with this in that if i scan 10 billion images and use one billionth of the information in each one of those images to build a model and generate a new image, do I own royalties or not? And I, th I think we're gonna, like you properly note, it's gonna be an interesting question as far as the creation of these synthetic objects based on a lot of information out there. Yeah, and as mentioned earlier, and as hopefully is really clear, we're trying to facilitate an ecosystem and it should be fair it should be the incentives are right for the creators at the same time we want to unlock creation so we have to balance these things yeah and sure. i think we we uniquely have an opportunity to su support that fairness because we're scanning a really a private permission-based cloud rather than a public cloud so i'm i'm optimistic hey and then jumping from bulldozers and cars into something infinitely more important which is humans and people just in the last year or two, we've also started thinking about people search and how does a brand that wants to build a Roblox experience find an amazing studio to help them? And I saw some uh, stats on our talent hub, which were the number of connections and the number of projects. And I was astounded by it. Could you share a bit about what talent hub is and, and how it works? Yeah, I mean, when we were talking early about RDC, one of the values of RDC is Roblox shares information with our community, and maybe our community shares information with us. But a lot of what happens is the community interacts with itself, and people meet each other. 
but RDC's a lot of people, you know, mingling around. And Talent Hub is sort of a formalization or a more structured way for people to say, I need something. Here's something that I need that I want to exist in the metaverse. Or, or here's something I can do. I have these skills, these capabilities. How can I help you? Right. And it's kind of like a matchmaking system where we we connect the talent with the to the people with the ideas. And really, we're trying to facilitate a whole industry, you know. And that means more and more people will be able to find like really fun, amazing work building in the metaverse and more and more brands that want to be on the metaverse can have amazing experiences there. And right now we're just in a place where there's a lot more people that want to be on the metaverse that know how to build for the metaverse. At least that's somehow sometimes how it, it feels. And so Talent Hub is a way to connect the dots essentially, right? To connect these hundreds of thousands of developers we have with these brands that really are looking for people that can help. Sometimes we think about our responsibility to respect the community. And in addition to the people within the company and the users on the platform, I haven't ran the math lately, but the number of people who make a living or a career or are employed, not just within our employee base, but outside of it, is awe-inspiring and some you know it reinforces that primary value of respecting the community we have within our company. Yeah, a hundred percent. And one of the stats I'm really proud of, it's not just about creator, but about Roblox as a whole, is that while the top developers are earning a lot more than they were a couple years ago. The rate of growth there, it's something enormous, like 200% over the last three years. But the rate of growth for the top 1,000 developers, so a broader cross-section, is more like 800%. And so that really feels great to me because essentially we are democratizing creation. There's more and more people that are creating, but they're also making a living or at least getting to that point. And I think we can keep going. I'm excited to keep going in that, in that direction. If you think about the future, Nick, are there any big technical challenges if we think about things that are going to be really hard to do or take a long time or things that which which arguably for our company are exciting. We like to attack big hard problems and solve them. Are there any areas that you're thinking about that are are hard but something we may think about approaching? No, I think we got it all figured out. <laughs> One of the amazing things about Roblox and part of why I joined, you know, three and a half months ago is we're really just getting started and there's a lot of pretty gnarly, fascinating problems all around us. Gigantic worlds. How big is the world, the real world that we all live in? And how big are these metaverse experiences? Could we have metaverse experiences that are 100 times, 1,000 times larger than the ones that exists now. That would be very amazing, but technically deeply, deeply challenging. It's a lot of data. Also imagine instead of one or two or 10 developers working on this large world, that you have thousands of developers working on this world all in parallel. That's what the real world's like, right? And you know, thousands of people creating in parallel, and you can go over and look at what they're doing. And so, so there's just a, a very large number of technical challenges around creation. There's a number of challenges around the user experience in such worlds as well. 
That's a big one. Another big one is the AI thing I think we were talking about. It's really fun to think about, and you can imagine it. You can imagine that Star Trek experience with the green screen, but no one's done that before in the history of the world, you know, and it does feel like the technologies are starting to emerge. You know, you get that feeling about it, that it, it seems nigh, but there's a lot of work. We're going to need some really great talent, some really great innovators here at Roblox to realize that reality. And then I think the third one that I'll highlight is just, we were touching on it just a little bit of when we were talking about the bulldozer slash car is the things that are created. Are we sure that they're safe? You know, are we sure that they're good for the community? And then are we sure that we're protecting the rights of the creators? You know, these are, are hard problems in the metaverse because our goal is to make creation very easy and we want to do it right. We want to do it right by the people that are creating and we want to do it right by the people that are consuming that content. Wow. And when we do that, we would probably try to do all of that on very low end, badly performing consumer devices to boot, just to make it extra hard as part of our challenge, <laughs> which has been our history. Well, Nick, that's a wonderful vision. Thanks so much for joining today. I think we're running up against the clock. I, I would say three months in, you sound like a grizzled 15 year Roblox veteran. So <laughs> thank you so much for like such a wonderful show of our values as part of our discussion. You have a deep understanding of, of our vision and platform and where we're going. So really nice. It was my pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, thanks, Nick. And that's all for another episode of Tech Talks. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to find out more about careers at Roblox, check out roblox.com forward slash careers. I'm your host, Dave Bazuki. See you again next time.